this is our, Lord willing, our final uh, portion in our Fearing God series, but Lord willing, not the end of our Fearing God. Uh, but, I, but I trust that it has been beneficial for you. Uh, we are going to spend a little time, and I did send, I believe, a slide. Yeah, good, we got it. Is it coming? Ah, oh, look at this, The Grace of Fearing God, part four. I'm going to review just r- real quickly here our, kind of our, our working definition of fearing God. Fearing God is responding to God's revelation of himself in a way that, that is appropriate. And I think that that's really one of those unifying themes as we look at verses about fearing God. It's that fearing God has direction in it. It has movement. Fearing God is not sitting in a, a corner just trembling. That's not fearing God. That's not what God requires from us. Does he ever just say, sit in the corner and shake? No, he always calls us to obey or to love him or to delight in him or to find our refuge in him, to put our hope in him. Uh, So God is not someone you run from, but someone whom you run to. Jesus is the bread of life. If you need life, you should run to him to get life. Now, We've talked about that, uh, that, 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 that particularly as we look at the New Testament verses, that fearing God is responding to God's revelation of himself in a way that's a, 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 appropriate, uh, but especially, but, but not only the, the revelation that God is judged, or that we have to give an account to him, that he's going to, to evaluate us. So it's a motive uh, uh, for us that scripture gives for us to be obeying. I'm going to review just, just real quickly here. Uh, just, just what are some of those principles we've taken from those New Testament passages. But fearing the Lord motivates us to excel in obedience. Fearing the Lord guards our hearts from falling away in that we cling to him, we stay close to him. Fearing the Lord doesn't mean we dread death and judgment because we fear him doesn't mean we spend all our time incapacitated by fear. I'm going to have to stand before God. This is going to be really horrible. No, if you're in Christ Jesus, there's, there, you are so confident that you're not going to be condemned. All you're looking forward to is the rewards that he's going to give for the obedience he's working through you. It's a very different way of thinking about uh, uh, God as judge and fearing him. And fearing the Lord liberates us to, to love his commands and look forward to to, to, to judgment. Rather than fearing judgment, you can look forward to it. Now, if you have your notes there, you can go ahead and flip on the back page. Uh, you know, with, with us doing different things dur- dur- during equipping hour, I know that not every one of you have been here for every part, so I'm trying to review what the previous parts are. But I just want you, you to see what's there. We, we have our notes and references from the first part, and then our notes from the second and, 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 and third part. So if you're new with us this morning, you, you can go back and study, uh, study the, the, those references. If you have any questions about them, you, you can email or call me. Uh, and you can also uh, uh, listen to, to those messages uh, uh, online. So we're going to kind of, uh, Lord willing, kind of finish this morning with this series. And let me get back into my notes where we are here. Um, so, so, so it is good for us to remember that fearing God is more than remembering we're going to have to give an account to him. Our fear of him is going to be present when we are most confident in our salvation, when we are most encouraged by the fruit that he's producing in our lives. That is a time when you can be fearing him too. Fearing him is not just about, oh, I really haven't been obeying and I'm kind of nervous. Uh, When you're most anticipating hearing Christ say to you, well done, good and faithful servant, is part of you fearing God. So fearing God is not negating hope. 
there is a kind of fear in God that you'll take to heaven with you, right? Fearing God is not only pre-judgment day. Fearing God on, on, on the day of your glorification, when you are made to reflect Christ more than you'll ever will here on this earth, on the day of your glorification, is the first day of you perfectly fearing God. You'll fear him perfectly, the way that he deserves. So I do think we should ask ourselves, what is this eternal fear of God? What is this, 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 this fearing of God that isn't just about, yes, one day I'm going to stand before him, but one day I'm going to stand before him, and I'll always stand before him. And so I've got some, some uh, other uh, quotes here we're going to look at as we describe what this fear of God is. It is when we're aware of his transcendence, when we're aware of his greatness, when we're aware of his infiniteness. But it's also when aware that this great, transcendent, infinite God has directed his mercy toward, toward you. So let's look at a couple quotes here as we continue to think uh, about fearing God. Uh, here's a quote by Sinclair Ferguson. It's the indefinable mixture. And this is what, what we were talking about last week. It is difficult to say, is fear the right word? Is reverence the right word? Respect, awe? It's, it's, it's tough to find just the perfect word. It's an indefinable, excuse me for just a second. I'm okay. Sorry about that. Okay, so back to Sinclair Ferguson for those who are listening on Online, It's indefinable mixture of reverence, fear, pleasure, joy, and awe which fills our hearts when we realize who God is and what he has done. You know, it's, it's a great summary word for what our experience, this feeling before God is, where he just becomes so large and we become so small, and yet not so small as, as to be uncared for by him. But he just expands in his infiniteness, and we just realize, I'm just a creature. So that's a, a, a little bit of what fearing God is. Here's a quote by, by the theologian John, John Murray. Fearing God is the reflex in our consciousness to the transcendent majesty and holiness of God. Again with John Murray. The controlling sense of the majesty and holiness of God. And the profound reverence, which this apprehension, I think that that's a good word. It's not like I'm afraid of coming before him. You can do, have this apprehension and complete confidence before Christ. And yet there's still this sense of, I'm about to meet my creator. He's so immense. This apprehension, okay, back to that. I'm going to start again with a quote. The controlling sense of the majesty and holiness of God and the profound reverence which, they, which this apprehension elicits constitutes the essence of the fear of God. And one more by Jerry Bridges. A mixture of fear, veneration, wonder, and, ad, and admiration, all directed toward God himself. So this fear of God is what God graciously gives to his own. It's the work of his spirit in his elect. It always ends in us going to Christ. What true fear of God always ends with our paths ending with Christ. Fearing God will never lead you away from Christ. It will never lead you to self-effort. Fearing God will always lead you to Christ. So fearing God doesn't lead us to shrink from Christ appearing, but to run to Christ appearing. It doesn't make you want Christ 
to tarry, you, you know what I mean, to, to, to be slow in coming back. And maybe some of you have experienced that in times of disobedience. You're like, Jesus is coming back today. And you're like, oh, I wish I were more ready. Okay. There's obviously a breakdown there where, where your faith isn't working itself out in obedience. You know, when we really fear God, we're like, yes, Jesus is coming. I can't wait for me to be with my Savior. I can't wait to be before God. So it leads us to cling to the sacrifice of Christ and to say, come Lord Jesus. Both of those things at the same time. So let's talk about, uh, well, let's stop here and ask if you have any questions. Because we're going to spend more time talking about how do we grow in fearing God. But let's stop and, and, and see if you have any questions from what we've talked about so far, or even so far in this series. But what we've talked about, I mean me. Well, let's talk about how do we grow in fearing God. And so how do we grow in the fear of God? And I would say that the most simple way is to meditate on his attributes. And that is our first blank there, to meditate on his attributes. And I think that's true to say that all of his attributes can lead. Uh, now, again, this, this, this requires his spirit working inside of us. But all of his attributes, as we meditate on them, can lead to our fearing him. Again, it's not just about him, him being judged. Like when we think about God being omnipotent, that God is omnipotent, the powerful creator. Let's read Psalm 33, verses 6 through 9. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and that by the breath of his mouth all their host. That right there should be creating fear of God in us. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deeps and storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of The world stand in awe of him, for he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. So we fear God because he spoke. And when you start thinking about the galaxy, so in the Milky Way, uh, and and I know we've got some scientists here do it. Anyone know how many stars are in the Milky Way galaxy, our galaxy? A little corner of the universe we like to call home. 100 million million stars. He just spoke, and they were all there, right? Like, like that makes us shrink. Then, you, you put on that, that right now, it's estimated there's 100 billion galaxies. And I know that they are smaller or larger, but if you even estimate 100 billion, like my mind just popped, right? 100 billion galaxy with 100 billion. I mean, 100,000 million stars. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, what it should be. 100,000 million stars in each of those galaxies. There's 100 billion galaxies, maybe 200 billion galaxies. I don't know if they're ever going to come to the end of it. Yes, because it's finite and God is infinite. But, like, he just spoke and then he made the whole thing. And he stores the water. So when you think about, about uh, and, and this is abstract, but I was curious, how much water is on the earth? There's a lot of it, and he puts it in its place. So in one cubic mile of water, right? So that's like a lot, right? You know, like you guys know a cubic mile is a mile by a mile by a mile. There's 300, uh, there's, so in each one of those cubic miles, there's 1.1 trillion gallons of water in a cubic mile. 
get this, there's 326 million cubic miles of water. Like, that's a lot of water. Like, and so what does that psalm say? He lays up the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. He keeps the water where it is. He spoke all the stars into existence. When we think about those kinds of things, we're just like, I'm so small. And he's my creator. And I have to give an account to him. We, we, we're also, when we meditate on, on his attributes, and we're going to actually focus on a couple of his, his attributes, his defining characteristics in a couple minutes. But we can also think about him being holy. God is holy. So we're still focusing on that first blink, um, on, on, on meditating on his attributes. Isaiah 6, 1 through 5. Isaiah has a fearing God moment here. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with a train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two, the seraphim covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out, while the temple was filling with smoke. And then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. It doesn't specifically say that he's experiencing the fear of the Lord here, but that's totally what he, 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 he gets. He is, when he says, Woe is me, I'm ruined. It's, I am undone. I am unraveling. I am falling apart. When we think about God's holiness, we fear the Lord. When we think about his wisdom, we fear the Lord. God is also wise. Romans eleven thirty three to 35. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has became his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? God is wise and and I love how, how Wayne Grudem describes God's wisdom. This is probably one, 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 one of my most quoted things about God's character. God does the best possible thing in the best possible way. And now that I remember, I don't remember if that's exactly how he said it. But it's so good. He has the best plan and the best way of accomplishing that plan. There is no plan B with God. He has absolute precision. There's no, there's no estimating. There's no missteps. There's no going to a plan B. That's just incredible. When you think about our lives and that, and that he could have had accomplished anything the way that he wanted. He spoke the, all these stars into existence. Your life is a history of God working with perfect wisdom. Absolute precision. Accomplishing his best plan in your life right now. Those kinds of thoughts, like when you compare our wisdom with God's wisdom, it's just so humbling. Right? We fear him because of that. And then we could go on. In all those attributes, his omnipotence and his holiness and his wisdom, those would just be pure terrifying if it weren't for his grace and mercy and love. What if all of that power and wisdom and holiness was directed towards your ill will, towards you having the worst possible existence? But it's not that. God is also merciful and gracious and loving. Speaking of fearing God, John, John Bunyan, the Puritan, said, 
where there is no sense or hope of the kindness and mercy of God by Jesus Christ, there can be none of this fear, but rather wrath and despair. Fear, true God-pleasing fear, includes all of his attributes. It's not just looking at this infinite God who could squash us. It's remembering that this infinite God who could squash us is merciful and gracious and compassionate. And uh, so, and John Bunyan again said, Nothing can lay a stronger obligation upon the hearer to fear God than a sense of or hope in his mercy. Right? It's, it's the fact that that God is merciful to you. And you're just like, he's, I'm, I'm just almost, I can't speak before him, right? We just run to him. This is the God who says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. The God who spoke everything in existence says, run to me. It's so encouraging. Uh, and, 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 and I've quoted this, this verse several times. Mysterious and awesome. Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? And that's what Isaiah is saying. I'm in trouble here. I'm undone. I can't stand. But then verse 4 of Psalm 130. But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Right? It's not just there's judgment with you that you may be feared. That's, that's true. But, if, but real God-pleasing fear, there's forgiveness with you that you may be feared. It's, it's fear has direction to it. Now, I do think that there's a couple attributes of God that we can focus on in our day-to-day lives that particularly help us cultivate a fear of the Lord. So I just have kind of ran through some and hopefully demonstrated how really you could do this with any attribute of God and see how it relates to our fearing him. But for me, and like this is where it just may be me, me personally and maybe not you, but we're going to kind of look at, at a, few of our, a few of God's attributes and our relationship to him that I think really help us remember in our day-to-day lives uh, both God's, God's infiniteness, our finiteness, but also his care for us. So I think that, that one, this is your, your second note there, Oh, that's really small. It's 24-point font. I think it looks too small there. But meditate on God's sovereignty. Meditate on his sovereignty. God being sovereign is his reign, is his rule, and how it extends to every detail of our days, every decision that every dictator makes. He's completely in charge, and we see this in verses like Ephesians 1, 1, 11. And I'm just going to, I've got a bunch of cross-references here. For me personally, I enjoy a lot of cross-references. I think that they bring out uh, to me that this is real. It's real if one verse says it, but I like when there's a lot of verses that, that say it. But you guys have those references down on the notes. If, if you need the notes, we've got more copies of them. So you don't have to try to get all these right now. You can go, go over later and look at them. Ephesians 1, 11. Uh, it describes how we have obtained an inheritance who are in Christ Jesus, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. That's what sovereignty is. God accomplishing everything according to his desire, according to his plan. Now, the, 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 uh, the, ba- the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar comes to understand God's sovereignty. But at the end of that period, and this is after he goes through his crazy phase of eating grass and, you know, uh, hair like feathers. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. That's God's sovereignty there. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. 
and not, not, not that he doesn't care for us, but as in comparison, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? God's sovereignty is extensive over all of creation, over every human life. Psalm 135, verses 6 and 7 builds upon that. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all deeps. No one stops him from doing what he wants. And then it it gets practical here. He causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He causes clouds. You know, he's the one who makes the sun heat up the water so that we get clouds and that we get rains. He's the one who makes lightning for the rain, who brings forth the wind from his treasuries. Remember that the next time those Santa Anas dry up your fingers, right? God sent these. This is his work. It's not chance. Those raindrops are sent by him. But we start seeing here how his sovereignty over everything is good news for us, right? And how it brings us to fear him when we get those refreshing 70-degree days. Like, this is from God. That's part of how we fear him. Matthew 10, 29 to 31. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. This shows his care. His sovereignty is not just like, you know what I mean? It's not just like some, some giddy, power-tripping glee of I get everything the way that I want it. You know, it's, he numbers the hairs of your head. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So it's that mix of how amazing he is and that, again, he comes back in. And I care for you more than I do a sparrow. I stop the little birds falling from their nests, and your life is in my hand too. Your car ride home is in God's hand. As we all know, little Caleb's life is in God's hand. Proverbs 21.1 extends uh, just just some of of God's sovereignty. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. Where do Trump's decisions come from? We know he has responsibility for the decisions he makes, but who controls those? Like water in the king's hand. He, 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 he moves around how he wants to accomplish his will. Proverbs 16.33 is, is talking about the decision-making process too. The lot is cast in the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. So we, we remember this as we're, we're shaky and, and maybe, and I know that different of us have different political views. Some of you are thrilled, some of you are terrified. But there's one sovereign. And it's not the president. Job, 20, Job 12, verses 23 to 24. He makes the nations great, then destroys them. He enlarges the nations, then leads them away. He deprives of intelligence the chiefs of the earth's people and makes them wander in a pathless waste. As we see people around the world making crazy decisions, all of this is in God's hands. So you see how, how, how as we fear him, we don't fear, right? As we fear him, as we remember who's really in charge, we trust. We trust him. Fear of the Lord is a comforting thing. His vastness comforts our hearts. And we know this, all of that sovereignty of God is directed towards his people for their good. I didn't put up Romans 8.28 here because we know it. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. In the context of that chapter there, it's suffering. 
Our sovereign God is, 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 is accomplishing his will using all kinds of means for our good. So because God is sovereign, we trust him and we obey him as sovereign. We submit to the will that he's declared for our days. Like in 1 Peter 5, where he talks about humbling ourselves before him. And then we get to cast our cares upon him. We submit to him for what he's made known about our lives or what he's, he, uh, what he's declared is going to happen, but also what he wants us to do. We take his word seriously. When we remember the sovereign that we have to do and we read a command, we're like, I'm going to do this. He's the king of the universe. I have to obey. What does it say about my responsibility with my family or at work or with money or with my speech? I've got to obey that. That is fearing God. He's king over everything. It is submitting to the authorities put into our lives, whether, whether wives to husbands, children to parents, workers to bosses, the political authorities, elders of the church. All of life is under God's authority. So I think a great question to ask is, is as you think about fearing him, are you bucking against him or are you submitted to him? Are you chafing under his plan? Are you shaking your fist in rebellion because there's a portion of your life like, I'm not okay with God being sovereign. I want my way in this. See, when we fear him, we remember. Now, again, this is not without hope and mercy, right? John Bunyan talked about that. If you're going to have real fear of God, it's going to include hope and mercy. Are you anxious or worried or fretting? about what he has complete, 100% rule over. Fearing God is trusting our good, sovereign king. So I think that, that we can grow in fearing God by meditating on his sovereignty. We also can grow by meditating on his presence. So we can grow by meditating on all of his attributes, but specifically his sovereignty, but also on his presence. All of life, you know, whether seven or eight billion, all of these lives on earth are lived in God's presence. 24 hours a day, every second of every hour, from conception to death, then even into eternity. Jeremiah 23, verses 23 to 24 says, Am I a God who is near, declares the Lord, and not a God far off? Can a man hide himself in hiding places so I do not see him, declares the Lord? Do I not feel the heavens, fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord? There's no place where we go outside from his presence. Psalm 139, 7 and 10 captures this so beautifully. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed and shield, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest parts of the earth, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. Again, look how encouraging that verse 10 is, right? Will lay hold of me. This is not just a doctrine to make us shake, right? This is encouraging. You can't get outside of God's presence. If you are in Christ Jesus, this is comforting news for you at all times. 
there, there's, there's good news. I don't know if I put this verse up here. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's Deuteronomy 31.8. The Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. Now, now, this was a promise to Israel as they were ready to take the promised land. Uh, but, but you'll see some, some New Testament uh, uh, leaning here. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you, just as much as, quoted, Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. Do not fear or be dismayed. God was with the people of Israel, and he is with his people now. Now, that is an incredibly encouraging thing to know that we never go outside of God's presence. But it is also that healthy fear-inducing too, right? Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. And whether that's good or bad news to you is probably on how your relationship with Christ is. You know, to those who fear God in the way that God desires, the eye of God is not like the eye of Mordor, right? You guys know that from the Lord of the Rings? Poor Frodo, right? He gets freaked out every once in a while. You know, he's like, oh, you know, the glowing eye and it's looking. Uh, That may be a picture of God's eye to those who don't know him, right? But that's not what his eye is like for those who do know him, right? It's good news, but it is also sobering, right? His eye is always watching us. We never escape. It doesn't matter how many people are in our home. It doesn't matter how far out in the wilderness we are. The Lord is there with us. Psalm 139, verses 1 through 4. We already talked about some verses from that. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there's a word in my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. He knows what you're going to say. And and I do think we see an intermingling here between his presence, his eye seeing everything, there being no escaping from him, but then also his knowledge, right? It's, it's, It's not just like he's there but blindfolded. And because he is God, he knows everything, the words you're going to say next, the thoughts you're having now. Psalm 44, verses 20 to 21. If we had forgotten the name of our God or extended our hands to a strange God, would not God find this out? For he knows the secrets of the heart. That is such a fear-inducing verse, right? He knows the secrets of our hearts. He knows our thoughts. So we have to ask ourselves, do we act like God is present? If you've ever toggled from a webpage when someone entered the room or flipped a channel in shame or stopped gossiping as soon as someone enters the door, you forgot to fear God. If you've ever slowed down when you see a cop car, you forgot to fear God more than a police officer. Right? He's the one that commands that we obey. Do you think like God knows your thoughts? Do you try to obey in your thoughts? Are you aware that he knows your complaining thoughts and your sinfully doubting thoughts and your jealous thoughts and your coveting thoughts, your prideful thoughts? All is open to him. And so you can see here why fearing God leads us to Christ, right? Without, without the sacrifice, you, and, and, and you think about uh, Israel in the wilderness when, uh, they, when God sent the uh, serpents to bite them in judgment 
because of their rebellion. But he lifts up a bronze snake and says, if you go and look at this snake, and it would take intentional work on their part. They would have to go and look. It would be an act of faith to do that, but they'd be saved, right? This, this fear in God would be a horrible thing if Jesus hadn't been lifted up. But he has been lifted up. Listen to where Hebrews 4, 13 to 16 goes. And, and I want to emphasize this because it could just be such, such, such a damning doctrine if there's not hope in Jesus Christ. It would be if it were not for Jesus Christ. It says, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, and I love that, right? There's no creature hidden from his sight. All things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Oh, we're in trouble. But he doesn't stop there. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. All right, amen, right? So that as we realize, no, he knows all my thoughts. We, we, we get to run to Jesus Christ. And even more, he was tempted as we are. He's sympathetic with us. So just as an aside, how important to fill our thoughts with God-pleasing thoughts. You know, in thinking about this context, I don't really ever thought, we think a lot about how sanctification is affected by uh, us, you know, controlling our thought life. But think about Philippians 4.8 in this context. Brethren, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good repute, if there's any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Think on those kinds of things because God sees your thoughts. Now, this is not just to be furious. This is an opportunity to, to please him. Think on good things so that you can be pleasing to him in all of your thoughts, not just because it makes you more holy. Well, that's true. But he, he can enjoy what you're thinking about. Isn't that lovely to think about? God loving our thought life. Or, or, or 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. Those things is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Right? It's good news. Our, our, our Father knows all, all of our thoughts and can enjoy them increasingly. And one day in heaven is going to be in, pleased with all of them, always, for eternity. I can't wait. So we can meditate on his presence. We've talked about meditating on his sovereignty. We can also, and, and, and this is about, about who he is, but it's also about who we are. And so I'm kind of cheating here. But meditate on his independence and our dependence. I think that this is something that can really help us growing in fearing God. To meditate on his independence and our dependence. God alone is independent, right? He could have, if he had chosen existed for eternity with no one else beside him and been perfectly happy, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, eternally loving and enjoying and praising one another for all eternity. He's independent. Acts 17.25 says uh, that God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. He needs nothing from us. Job 41.11, 
Who has given to me, this is God speaking, that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. He doesn't need anything from us. And Wayne Grudem said, without creation, God would still be infinitely loving, infinitely just, eternal, omniscient, Trinitarian, and so forth. All of those things would exist for eternity without him making a single thing. He's totally independent. And all of creation is dependent upon him. I do think that our dependence upon God is a good God-fearing, inducing thought. Fear of God-inducing thought. We are dependent upon him. Hebrews 1.3, specifically, we're dependent upon his son. I don't even understand physics, but but there's some mystery here. And fortunately, it's a mystery that the physicists never figured out either. So Hebrews 1.3. And he, speaking of Jesus, is the radiance of his glory, radiance of God the Father's glory, and the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. That's amazing. He upholds all things by the word of his power. Why do we exist? Because Jesus is keeping us together. He is sustaining this universe. He did not wind it up and just let it go. He is here now keeping us together. Colossians 1.17 He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Again, referring to Christ. Now, there's a lot that I don't get about a lot of stuff, and I don't don't really, I I just wanted to know how many uh, uh, atoms there are in the human body, right? Because there are mysteries there, like what keeps atoms together? And, 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 And how do these inner things work? And to some extent, we know some of the answer here, is that God keeps everything together. So I just thought it'd be interesting to know how many atoms there are in the human body. And there's a lot. Okay. It's 7 to the 27th power. So 7 followed by 27 zeros. Or 7 billion, billion, billion. That's the number of atoms in your body. What's keeping you together? I'm sure there's all these little things inside there and little things inside there, and they keep finding new little things, Right? But Jesus upholds everything by the word of his power. That's why we're just not an atom mess right now. I'm going to keep my atoms, you keep yours. God determines everything about us. He, he determines how long we live. And again, we are very sensitive with this, with little Caleb. Psalm 139, verse 16. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in your books were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Job 12, verse 10. In whose hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind? All of us, the next breath is from God. He could stop it at any time. We're totally dependent upon him. Right now. We're not just dependent upon him for breath. He's also the one who gives food. Psalm 104, verses 27 to 29. They all wait for you to give them their food in due season. Talk about the animals. You give to them. They gather it up. You open your hand. They are satisfied with good. You hide your face. They are dismayed. You take away their, their spirit. They expire and return to the dust. All of creation is dependent upon the Lord for food. Matthew 5, 45 describes how God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. The rain is from God. The sun is from God. This is why in Matthew 6, 11, we're told to give us this day our daily bread. We're told to pray that. 
Our food today is going to come from the Lord. We're totally dependent. This is, I think, part of what makes fearing God so sweet. I think these are thoughts, if, 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 if you meditate upon them, will extend your fear of God. See, all of these thoughts then can be included with some of those verses we've looked at about giving an account to God. We have this responsibility. He's, he's, he's keeping us alive. He's been so gracious and good to us. Uh, he is the one who gives us our ability to make wealth. Deuteronomy 8, 17 to 18 says. Otherwise, uh, so, 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 so he's specifically saying this to, to Israel there so they don't get proud. But I think that it's easily transferable uh, to all people. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. I'm a self-made man, verse 18. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. So specifically in the context of the Mosaic covenant he made to Israel there. But whatever we have is from God. Whatever academic ability you have is from God. Whatever athletic abilities you have, whatever talents, whatever spiritual gifts, whatever money is in the bank is from God completely dependent upon him. And then we know that we're dependent upon him for obedience. John 15, 5. I am the vine, Jesus says. You are the branches. You're offshoots from me. He who abides in me and I in, in him. He bears much fruit for apart from me. You can do nothing. Without Jesus, we have no, no potential for any obedience of any kind, any God-pleasing thought. Any of our obedience is because we are linked into Christ through our faith in the gospel, through our, the indwelling of the Spirit, making us one with Christ. So then, all these things just, we're so dependent, right? And he's so independent. And he didn't have to do any of this. But he did all of this. And then he didn't have to save any of us. But then he saves us and unites us with his Son so we can have good fruit. So how do we grow in dependence upon God? I think you've got some ideas. Begin your day. Acknowledging him for breath, for everything, for the food in your cupboards. You know, don't go to your bank account without first, and I'm not making a rule of this, but I think it's a good habit. The money here is from the Lord. There's got nothing in here that isn't from God. And thank him for specific blessings. Right? Stay fresh with that. Don't, don't get bored just kind of assuming all these blessings. Acknowledge him for your days, you go through it. God, I've got this planned for the day. I, I've got planned this, this, and followed by this. I mean, I'm going to go to work. And, and, but he's the one who keeps us safe or doesn't during our drive home. We know that there's things that we haven't been able to plan, that we've got no idea is going to happen to us. And we're dependent upon him in the midst of those two. So you can see how fearing God is being in, in continual uh, really, uh, communion with him as we go through the activities of the day. I have not mastered this, right? It's so easy to just to assume. It's why, don't get tired. It's not legalism to pray before meals. Remember that that's a gift from the Lord. You know, it's, uh, you know and Pastor John was, 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 has shared about, about how, how he gets in the car and prays for safety with the kids every time before he drives somewhere, Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, 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 and like that is just such a good, good reminder. We're just so dependent upon him. Let's see here. We've got a few more minutes, and now I'm going to go. So, so, so we spent some time kind of meditating on these attributes, and then we're just going to ha have a couple more just, just, just quicker uh, uh, instructions with, with, with less verses. But uh, one of them is pray to fear God. If you want to grow in the fear of God, 
Say, God, help me grow in the fear of you. Such a cool verse is Psalm 86, 11. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. And the idea of unite is don't let me be divided. Don't let me have a schizophrenic heart. Let me be all in in fearing you. Let my heart have one direction, be to fear you, God. And then what's so cool is that Jeremiah 32, verses 39 to 41, I think I've read this uh, 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 every week, just shows that this fearing God is part of God's new covenant ministry to us. It's what he promised to, to Israel, what the church has been able to enjoy the blessings of. Psalm 32, verses 39 to 41. And I will give them one heart and one way. There's the undivided language. One heart and one way that they may fear me always for their own good and for the good of their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them good. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts so that they will not turn away from me. See what fear does. It keeps us not turning away from God. It keeps our attention glued on God. Our focus is him. And yet we know that we're stuck between this already and not yet, right? Our hearts are already unified. We already have this one heart to fear God. And yet we know that, that all, all of a sudden we're tempted. And whether it's because something doesn't work right at home or because the, how the kids are behaving or something we see on television, we're tempted in so many ways. All of a sudden we're like this two-headed dragon, right? Like, I want to fear God, but I want this too. So that's why in Psalm 86, 11, it says, Unite my heart to fear your name. Give me a single-mindedness to fear God. Cultivate a compelling vision of God. Think about his attributes. Beg for that single-mindedness. And that leads to read to fear God. Read to fear God. So pray to fear God. You should also read to fear God. Psalm 19, verse 9 says, the fear of the Lord is clean. And, you, and, and, and I didn't think about opening my Bible there. I just want to show that this is in a famous passage. And uh, uh, today, unfortunately, well, it's not totally unfortunately. My office is being used, so I didn't get my NASB I bring to church. I have the ESV, which sometimes I use at home, but it's going to be okay. Uh, so Psalm 19, verse 7. I just want to show you these are famous verses. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. It's talking about the law of the Lord. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. A testimony, okay, what God's done. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart more about God's, God's rules. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Really interesting, right? He just talked about the law, the testimony, the precepts, the commandments, and the fear. What he's saying there is the fear of the Lord. It's not talking about the fear that we feel. It's talking about God's word there. It's another way to talk about God's word, the fear of the Lord. This is the fear of the Lord. That's incredible. It's called a metonym of effect, if you like that. I was thinking about uh, uh, another one, like, 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 like you could say, um, you, you could talk about dinner being the satisfying of your appetite. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of weird, but uh, the sa- but that's what dinner is, right? It's a satisfying, it, it's, it's a metonym of effect. Okay, so the fear of the Lord. He's talking about God's word. That's what it does in you. It brings fear. Again, this is not just fear of judgment. It's the fear before the infinite God. Yes, I have to give an account to him. But he's also one who keeps me alive. The one who extends grace and mercy. Who said, worship my son. So he says the fear of the Lord is, is clean. It makes us acceptable in God's presence. 
It's cleansing. So we need to read God's word, and I really would encourage, read the Old Testament. You know, the, 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 read the Old Testament. And even if you're just like, I don't get a lot of it, just kind of just keep reading through it. And, 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 and you may do it at a slow rate. You may just try, try to do a couple chapters a day. Just keep reading through the Old Testament. The Old Testament uh, is just so, I mean, we, we, we love so much about the New Testament. And we love so much. And some people say kind of crazy things. I'm not going to, hopefully not criticizing you. I'm going off scripture, right? Uh, but, you know, the, the, the New Testament's all about the love of God. And the Old Testament's all about the wrath, right? We know that that's not true, right? God's wrath was never more displayed than, than at the cross. But people say that for a reason, right? It's just because when they read the Old Testament, it's just such a transcendent, sobering, powerful sometimes terrifying view of God. Read through Jeremiah. So the New Testament becomes so much sweeter when you've got the fear of God, the fear of the Lord, doing the fear of the Lord's work in you, when it's cultivating that fear. So, when, so read the Old Testament too. Uh, not trying to heap burdens upon you, but I think it's good for you. Uh, yeah, and I'll read... Ah, I'm going to skip, skip that because, because we're running out of time. So, 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 so as far as, as, and as far as reading and reading to fear God, uh, read good theological books. So John Bunyan said, For as man drinks good doctrine into his soul, so he fears God. If you drink good doctrine into your soul, so you fear God. If he drinks in much, he fears him greatly. If he drinks in but little, he fears him but little. If he does not drink in it at all, he does not fear him at all. And I say that that's totally true. It's true of my experience. It's probably true of many of yours. That the more you are, first of all, of course, in God's word, the fear of the Lord, but also in good theological books. The more you read, the more you fear God. And, 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 and systematic theologies are great for this. Uh, Pastor John is always quoting J.C. Ryle. J.C. Ryle oozes the fear of God in this way that makes you still adore him, Right? Right, John? Just this mix of the transcendence of God, but you get to know him as father at the same time. J.C. Ryle is just masterful at that. I, I love Martin Lloyd-Jones for that same, same reason. Uh, uh, his, his collection of sermons on the Sermon, sermon on the Mount is great. Spurgeon is great at this. Edwards and Calvin. And really, I would say, if, if you've ever stretched yourself to read a Puritan and, and, and even a, a updated version of one, Puritans... Um, those men honestly refresh me because I feel like the, you know, windows of my car just got cleaned, right? It, it, it just kind of like clears it up so that I'm like, that's who God is. Now, God is revealed in his word, but sometimes it's just sweet to have his word exposited and just people think in these creative ways. And so Puritans often have that effect me. And they were known for having a big view of God. They get a bad, bad, bad rap for being all terror and judgment. I would say that they definitely aren't. And uh, so, so, so it's also re- reading books on the attributes of God. Okay, last here is remember to fear God. And I'm not saying remember to fear God, like, oh, I need to set a timer to remember to fear God. Well, that's not, maybe not a bad idea. Uh, at one time, my dad had uh, on his watch, he, he, he saved uh, a little reminder that went off every, uh, every hour because he wanted to just keep remembering something uh, uh, about the Lord or his dependence upon him. But remember to fear God. So keep a record of God's blessings. 
you know, Thanksgiving is coming up, but we shouldn't just preserve that for Thanksgiving. But milk it, right? I mean, I mean, your kids know that you're going to be talking about all the great things that God has given you. You're going to go into people's homes and talk about what you're thankful for. You know, remember what God has done. The Old Testament is full of Israel looking back at God's goodness to them. So remember, and Israel's ongoing sin was that they became comfortable with God. They just, they just forgot and they took for granted again and again all of his blessings. So they started complaining about manna. I get heaven, I get food from heaven every morning. And they start complaining about it. So fear God by remembering all his blessings and all of his benefits. Also remember by memorizing scripture. Exodus 34, 6 through 8. If you haven't memorized it, great place to start. The Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, and we know that that's Yahweh there, right? Yahweh, Yahweh, God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Moses wanted to see God, and this is what God says to him. Moses made haste to bow low toward the earth and worship. So if you want to fear God, memorize just a small passage like that and meditate on that. Or Psalm 103, Isaiah 40, verses 12 through 26. Those are great passages to be cultivating a fear of God. Now, as, uh, as, as we finish this, this series here, I just want to say that God, fearing God is too good to pass up. It's too good to pass up. You know, we, we looked at Proverbs 1.7. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. If you want to be wise, cultivate fearing God. If you want to please God, fear God like Job did. Have you considered my servant Job? For there's no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. If you want to live a life knowing God, if you want to live a life pleasing God, if you want to live a life of delight in God, Isaiah spoke of Jesus, Isaiah 11.3. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. This is something to be delighted in. And again, are you going to delight in this apart from Jesus Christ? You're not. It's just going to be bad news for you. Jesus Christ makes the fear of the Lord sweet when you believe in him and you're united to him. The fear of the Lord is something you can delight in. This, you know, independent and omnipotent and holy and all-wise God is for you. Fearing the Lord is a delight when you're safe from the Lord. You know, you, you know, and some of you recently have, have read or heard about Luther, how terrified uh, before his conversion when he saw lightning, right? He was just terrified, you know, promising to become a monk if he lived through this. It's a very different thing watching lightning from inside the safety of your house, right? I don't know. Do we ever get lightning here? In other parts of the country, there's lightning. It's amazing. It's beautiful. It gets lightning here sometimes, right? Occasionally? Okay. It's beautiful if you're safe. If you're out in it, it's just terrifying. That's what the fear of the Lord is. This is why Jesus could delight in the fear of the Lord. Perfect unity with the Father, perfectly pleasing to him. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And now we are pleasing to God through his son, Jesus Christ. We can delight in the fear of the Lord. So cultivate fearing the Lord or you're missing out on joy. 
And uh, I think that, that, that we can end here by praying uh, Psalm 86, 11. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. So let's pray together. Oh, Father, I uh, really thank you, really, for the blessing of uh, being able to explore fearing you more. I thank you, Father, for the good questions that have been uh, asked, Lord. Uh, we really are dealing in weighty things, Lord, things that have to do with, 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 uh, uh, with your transcendence, with our dependence upon you, with how you judge, with how we as Christians are to give an account even though we don't fear judgment how that can be a warning to us, Lord. There are so many weighty things we've explored. And so I thank you, Father, for this time. But I pray, Lord, that you would um, really be cultivating in us an expanding fear of you that would lead to more joyful obedience, more looking forward to your return, and more delight in you, Lord. We pray, Father, that the more we become like your son, the more we might delight in fearing you. Lord, his heart was so saturated with your word, and not just because of, of, of being God, but, but, but as man. He, he, he knew your word, and he meditated on it. Lord, I pray, Father, you would help us to be faithful, to get your attributes into our hearts, Lord, to have our, our mind transformed with thoughts that, 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 you, that you could walk through and be pleased by. Lord, help us to be cultivating a big view of you, that, that, that leaves us with an awareness uh, of our dependence, Lord, of how each breath comes from you. And you are the one who holds all things together. And Lord, it's sobering and it's wonderful. And it is good news that we can be close to you through your son. And yet, Lord, we can still be stimulated to uh, love and good works because we, we want this perfect love that, that, that doesn't fear judgment, uh, but, but that looks forward to the reward that's coming. So, Father, we're, we're trying to balance the, the, those things, and I, 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 I do pray, Father, for those who are struggling uh, with balancing these, Lord, that it would become increasingly uh, clear. I pray, Father, that uh, those times where we are terrified of who you are, where we would like uh, Christ to wait a little bit longer so we could clean up our lives, Lord, that, that, that it would be those times that we most cling to Christ and that we say, come, Lord Jesus. Lord, we thank you that we can't make ourselves any more fit uh, to be before you, Lord, but I know that we can maximize upon uh, the union of Christ that you've blessed us with. Thank you, Father, for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.